All right, and thanks for joining us, everybody. We are live here from the KFBS Digital News Desk, and we are joined today, as always, for By the Bushel by Barry Bean, and he's with the Missouri Farm Bureau Board. How are you doing today, Barry? Well, I'm doing okay. It's uh, We're having a, a busy season right now in the cotton business and coming into the end of the year. Uh, most of the crops, uh, well, at this point, essentially all of the crops are... Uh, are either at the gin or in the bin or and being sold and traded so uh, so we're, we're we're paying a lot of attention to the markets and, and and moving a lot of commodities and money back and forth it's a it's it's a good time of the year all right wonderful stuff wonderful stuff it is uh, always that i guess that busyness you know that uh, means that business is underway but uh, um so that is that is a good sign as much as a, i'm sure it can be a headache and everything but uh yeah, I know that also we, we as always here, of course, get a, a good test for the waters of the business when it comes to looking at the markets. Could you share more about what we're seeing with the, the markets and all things agribusiness this week? Well, absolutely. We'll start off here and let me uh, give my regular display of my technological prowess here as I share a screen and throw our market screen up. <laughs> and. Uh, Cotton had a very good day today. Um, as we see here, the uh, March cotton, we, we've moved from the December contract. The March cotton contract closed up 224 points at 81.63. And uh, corn had, corn traded relatively flat. It was at 5.96 even, down a dollar, I mean, down a penny. But um, soybeans traded at 13.91 and two thirds. They were up eight and two thirds. Wheat was at 7.65, down two cents, and rice was uh, very nearly flat at 16.85. And uh, now, you know, for something that that seems like, you know, you could look at that and go, okay, cotton had a good day, but 200 points is not really that big a deal uh, in these days that 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 we're seeing three and four hundred market point moves um, on a regular basis. But this was huge news for cotton, and let me uh, let me hop back over here and tell you a little bit why. Uh, for for one thing, because of where we are, uh, this also expands the limits in cotton to 400 points from 200 points. But um, you know we've talked in in weeks past about how some commodities, uh, cotton, higher in beef, uh, certainly anything. Uh, some of your seafood, things that are seen as much uh, luxury goods or discretionary items as they are essential commodities are very, very sensitive to, to inflation and recession. Well, uh, we got the, um, this morning, we got the uh, Consumer Price Index report for November and consumer prices rose 0.1%. Um, so moving one-tenth of a percent was actually the uh, smallest monthly increase in in the in a year, and that's uh, two months in a row that we've seen. I think last month it was 0.15. So so we're seeing very very small increases, and the Fed is going to have a meeting tomorrow, and announce whether or not we'll see another uh, round of uh, interest rate hikes. And there is some talk that this reduced this this reduced inflation combined with the possibility of a less aggressive uh, Fed on interest rates could potentially increase demand. And so some of these discretionary items 
like cotton, uh, you know, to a lesser degree, wool or silk or any sort of textile, certainly to your uh, higher end food items, to your to your beef, your seafood, your, your your wines, that sort of thing, that we could see increased demand in those products if the inflation eases a little bit. Now, it is worth noting, um, we are still seeing continually slowing world demand in, in these same items. So, uh, you know, things look good in the U.S. That doesn't necessarily mean they look good everywhere, but it was a positive sign and it was enough to send cotton up this morning. But as you can see from the grains, it did not produce a huge change in, uh, in the corn, the soybeans, the wheat, or the rice, all of which uh, closed very close to uh, where they were yesterday yesterday and uh, you know soybeans had a little bit of a bump and uh, some of that uh, some of that really could be just day-to-day ordinary volatility but some of it could be related to this too um, as as people do eat a little more beef uh, those those beef do tend to be uh, fed a lot of grain-based foods where possible and so so there's there's a secondary effect there that benefits the uh, the soy markets um, Couple of other things that happened, and this is a, this is a huge factor in the commodities that we export. Of course, we export most of our cotton. I think we export um, a little bit less than half of our soy, and um, and a, an increasingly smaller amount of our corn, but uh, but some some of our rice as well. But um, we're seeing the uh, the dollar fall in the currency markets, and that improves all of our export sales. Again, the biggest in the commodities that we watch here. The biggest impact is on cotton. As the dollar gets weaker, our cotton gets more affordable to our foreign customers, uh, particularly in Asia, where most of U.S. cotton goes before it's woven into finished consumer goods and comes back to the U.S. Um, another piece of uh, news that was uh, encouraging for uh, for the grains, um, encouraging in the long run, is that uh, we did see uh, eight grain ships left Odessa um, here in the last day or so following a pause in Russian attacks on Ukraine. So uh, that is encouraging. We're hoping that this is a positive sign for, uh, for trade. Um, on the one hand, when, uh, when, when that Ukrainian trade gets tied up, it does open up some markets for the, for the U.S. Uh, on the other hand, in the long term, we need that Ukrainian tr- grain to, to flow, both for humanitarian purposes, but as grains get more expensive, uh, people using grain do eventually find other uses or cheaper grains. But uh, but that was encouraging that we did see grain ships uh, leaving Odessa following a pause um, in uh, in the Russian attacks. A um, couple other things going on in in the news, and um, now yeah, you know, I gave you some good news here that the uh, that the inflation may be increasing slower uh, than it has been for the past year or two. But um, at the same time, this Friday, we're facing a potential government shutdown. Um, the last, for the last, oh, I don't know, 10, 15 years, Congress has struggled to, uh, to produce budgets on time. So when they, when they can't do that, the government funding comes up to a deadline where by law, if, if the government doesn't meet a budget, they have to start shutting down government agencies. And we've been through this a few times in, in recent years, and it's never pleasant. It's never a positive thing. Well, we have another one of those deadlines coming up Friday. And this, of course, uh, increases the potential for some political fireworks, uh, because obviously with our recent elections, 
The Senate is um, held by the Democrats by a razor-thin margin. The Republicans took the House by a small margin, but those new members are not seated till January, and the deadline is this Friday. So we've got a tug-of-war going on in Congress with uh, Democrats wanting to set a budget for at least a year, if not longer, to uh, preserve their legislative priorities and reflect those in the budget. And uh, obviously Republicans who are taking the position that, look, we just won the House. No, we'll, we'll kick this can down the road for a few months, but we want a chance to put our legislative priorities into this budget. So uh, we want to take another look at this in the spring. Now, these two camps will probably come to some sort of a compromise measure around midnight on Thursday. But uh, between now and then, expect some fireworks and be aware that in the event they don't, um, one of the uh, government functions that in the past has not been deemed essential and is in fact shut down during a government shutdown is the CCC or the Commodity Credit Corporation. Uh, this is, um, and, and again, you, you might get the impression I'm uh, obsessed with cotton, but this is of course a major, major issue for cotton because so much of the U.S. cotton crop goes into the CCC loan where producers put their cotton in the loan, then later on they sell the equity and the merchant goes, pays off the loan, redeems it out of the loan. When the government shuts down and the CCC shuts down, what that means is that cotton is caught in limbo. Any cotton that's been submitted to the loan, you can't pull it out of the loan. The merchants who bought it can't redeem that cotton. They can't go ship it from a warehouse. If you've got a, a, a contract with a merchant that, that you're supposed to deliver loan equities, then uh, you can't deliver on that contract. So you're sitting here with cotton and you don't really have a good way to, uh, to get money out of it unless the uh, merchant goes in and changes his contract, which he may or may not be willing to do. Um, the last time this happened, last time we had a shutdown, it went for, uh, for several weeks. Um, it, it seemed like a, uh, roughly an eternity for those of us in the cotton trade. And, uh, and at that point, we had uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of 80% of the unsold cotton in the country was actually tied up in limbo in the, uh, in the loan program. Um, now this year, markets were a little higher early on. Some of that cotton has been delivered without going to the loan, so it couldn't. It may be a little less of a crisis, but it would still be a crisis. And I know that cotton organizations and organizations like Farm Bureau are already on it with uh, with letters in their word processor and their email applications ready to uh, to send out to the relevant bureaucrats to try to have the uh, Commodity Credit Corporation considered an essential service. Of, uh, of the U.S. government, so even during a shutdown, it would be allowed to go ahead and work and to keep the flow of commodities going and also avoid some major, major financial problems that start extending outside of agriculture and into uh, the rest of the rural economy. You know, lots of other programs that are, are involved in that, um, you know, small beginning farmer loans, um, Things like conservation programs and co-pays on uh, on equip contracts and that sort of thing. So uh, something to watch this week for for some fireworks. Um, in other news this week, as you may have heard, the uh, Congress stepped in and essentially forced the railroads back to work. The railroads were threatening another strike, and Congress forced their hand and uh, forced them uh, back back to work. Um, there were 
and continue to be some threats of slowdowns in the absence of an out-and-out -out strike, but at least the rails are running, and uh, this is encouraging because while, the, uh, while, while there was a, a risk of a rail strike, uh, we were seeing all sorts of potential uh, problems with the supply chain disruptions both in and out, uh, especially now at harvest time. The river is still low. We're still seeing limited barge traffic down the river with uh, major snags, uh, for instance, in New Madrid and Memphis, and uh, I believe down near Helena, Arkansas is another major snag where uh, where they're having where they're not able to move uh, the volume of traffic that needs to go up and down that river, which is directly a problem for uh, for grains that primarily trade, but uh, also for other commodities that occasionally go uh, go onto barges. Uh, certainly for coal, for for aluminum from from aluminum plants, and all sorts of uh, other goods that that are heading to the Gulf for for export. Um, and one of the things that happens there is that also. Uh, increases the demand on our trucking fleet um, right at a time that they're already moving an awful lot of consumer goods as uh, anybody who's gotten a package from Amazon or UPS or FedEx lately uh, or expects to in the next week or 10 days would be aware and uh, all of a sudden the normal seasonal demand is uh, is competing with commodities that are being pulled off the river and uh, having to get put on a truck. To, uh, to make it to uh, to New Orleans or to whichever port it is that they're headed to. Um, other news that we're looking at uh, related to uh, commodity prices, we're seeing the uh, COVID restrictions ease in China, which is uh, helpful, and that, that should help a little bit with Chinese demand and should help with uh, with, with all sorts of Chinese economic activity that, that we want to see. We, we, we need... We need them to buy our raw products and we need their consumer goods. So these are things that uh, that we need to, to see happen. But a recession fear still loom. The Chinese economy is uh, is still taking it on the chin. It's not in, in good shape. Further, uh, we're all waiting to see uh, what the significance was of the widespread riots um, in a country that doesn't ordinarily see that kind of uh, resistance to authority and um, President Xi there um, to see how he will react to this in the long run. That's a, that will be a major question mark. It will certainly uh, impact uh, diplomatic moves going forward. And, uh, and that has, a, has an impact as well with, uh, with the Chinese who, for the uh, first time in history, will be buying more cotton from Brazil next year than they will be buying from the U.S., so, uh, so we'll all be watching that. Uh, certainly, soybean growers will be uh, paying uh, paying close attention to this because if Brazil and and China get to be much better friends than they uh, than they are now, that could spell some problems in the long run for um, for the U.S. So, um, other things. Uh, the uh, director of agriculture here, um, Chris Chin told us uh, up at the uh, Farm Bureau meeting the other day, and I, and I confirmed this online, is that uh, we are still seeing seeing highly pathogenic avian flu, um, still very much a problem with confirmation this week of, a, uh, of an outbreak in a, of a flock in Osage County um, up in central Missouri. So, uh, so we'll be watching that. And, and again, both the Missouri Department of Agriculture and, uh, and the Missouri Department of Conservation and the Missouri Department of Natural Resources have advised that uh, that folks who are who are hunting uh, wild birds uh, please use uh, special precautions 
in handling that meat and making sure that you don't go near any poultry facilities and uh, and folks should be uh, on the watch out for any sick birds uh, certainly at any poultry facility so uh so anyhow those are those are a few of the headlines we we're watching this week or um those, those are all the headlines we're watching this week that we're going to talk talk about before we uh, get into uh, into a few other items in a little more depth. Sure. Um, I understand as well that the members of the Missouri Farm Bureau were uh, meeting and, and getting together and hopefully not wasting away again at Margaritaville, but uh, <laughs> hopefully thriving and uh, and uh, and uh, having a, a productive uh, convention or, or rather a, a meeting, um, I believe it was uh, simply called, but uh, 108th there. Um, yeah, tell us more about that. Tell us more about the outcomes and, and news that comes with uh, with the Missouri Farm Bureau meeting. Well, sure, yeah. Missouri Farm Bureau had its uh, 108th annual meeting. Um, actually, some people may not know that um, that farm, farm Bureau, all the Farm Bureaus in the United States, there's one in each state, and then we have American Farm Bureau, which is our big umbrella, national umbrella organization over all the states. It started in Missouri uh, 108 years ago, um, and so we had our 108th annual meeting. Uh, there were very few attendees at this meeting who were at the original meeting, um, but uh, there's an awful lot of exciting things happen. There's, there's 1,200 members from around the state, from literally every county of the state, from uh, their commodity producers who produce every commodity that we uh, produce in the state, lots of ag businesses, lots of legislative leaders. Um, I know that we, we talked about it uh, some uh, two weeks ago and gave a little bit of a preview and you know, tremendous meeting, tremendous to have uh, 1,200 farmers and uh, rural businessmen and women uh, active and, and involved to come together to uh, talk about their priorities for the coming year. But one of the interesting things about it and the most important thing that we do at the Farm Bureau meeting is to conduct our policy development. Uh, you know, several times in the last few years, the St. Louis Post-Dispatch has called us the most influential lobby in the state of Missouri. And uh, sometimes we, we laugh about that because we're not a big money lobby. Uh, Missouri Farm Bureau spends less money on, uh, on politics than you know, a lot of private individuals do. But we are a very influential lobby because our members vote and because we have a policy process that literally brings people from every corner of the state through a year-long process that culminates with uh, somewhere between 700 and 1,000, depending on the year, delegates in one room at Margaritaville. And uh, fortunately, no one did waste away this year, although after the meeting, there may have been a, may have been a few people you know, looking for their pop tops and uh, <laughs> blown out flip flops and such. But um, we spent uh, several hours and uh, after several days of, of discussion and debate, um, informally, several hours in formal debate to hash out our policies for the coming year. And, and it is something to be in a room with several hundred people debating policies that sometimes very contentious issues, but uh, set our big priorities for the year, including uh, initiative petition reform. We'd like to uh, see the Missouri Constitution be a little bit safer from initiative petitions that are more kind of the political whelm of the moment. Those things we feel like should be handled better by the legislature who is elected to respond to changes and, and who can pass laws and then come back 
later and change them when they discover that those laws had unintended consequences. So uh, we, we're going to work towards uh, work towards that with our legislature. Um, we're going to proceed with uh, trying to uh, tighten up eminent domain uh, restrictions and regulations to be sure that that is used properly and only properly in uh, coming years. Uh, we, we talked a lot about rural health care. There's a lot of concern with uh, rural health care, with, with things that we can do as Farm Bureau and things we'd like to see the legislature do to prop up rural hospitals, to improve the availability of rural health care, to, uh, to increase access of uh, tele, telehealth care, and also to uh, promote health care plans. And there is legislation that will be in the uh, General Assembly this year that will allow Farm Bureau and potentially other organizations to offer health care plans that would be much more affordable than most of the uh, plans afford, you know, available right now through the Obamacare marketplace. So uh, that was all that was all very exciting. Um, other things that we talked about is uh, we talked about transportation issues. Um, as you may know, there's a there are some uh, proposals in the um, legislature right now to spend some of the uh, COVID funding on uh, making um, I-76 or, or even eight lanes across the state. And we want to be sure that that, uh, we'll always support that. We want to be sure that that is balanced out with not leaving our rural roads in poor condition or rural bridges in poor condition. So uh, we, we talked a lot about that. We also uh, got a report from the Farm Bill Task Force and set our uh, Farm Bill priorities for the coming year. And actually this week, now, our uh, Farm Bureau National Legislative Director is meeting with other national legislative directors from American Farm Bureau to set their legislative uh, policies relative to the Farm Bill. So uh, when, uh, when we all meet in January with American Farm Bureau, we'll have, uh, hopefully, uh, all the states will come together and we'll have one united focus on what we want to see out of the next Farm Bill. But uh, we also conducted our, our elections. Uh, we had four members of the board who were reelected this year, and we reelected our president, President Garrett Hawkins. So, uh, so it was a, it was a great meeting. Um, lots of good folks. Lots of good things going on uh, up at Margaritaville. Heard from uh, heard from lots of legislators, and uh, I'm looking already looking forward to uh, next year. I'm I'm about caught up on my sleep at this point, but uh, but it was a uh, it was it was a great event. Great event. If you weren't there, you, you missed out on seeing uh, some real grassroots uh, policy development. Certainly, certainly. And um, that is fascinating stuff to hear about, fascinating um, information and context to uh, lots that uh, you all are able to, to do. I know that also we have been um, looking at as far as uh, a, another upcoming event that for another conference. Um, more about the University of Missouri Crop Conference. Can you tell us more about uh, what's coming up uh, down the down the line with that? I sure can. I sure can. The uh, the good folks at the University of Missouri have got uh, three three conferences coming up. There's the uh, first off is the uh, the crop conference, which is which is primarily a uh, soybean and corn conference that will be January the 19th at the Minor Convention Center there in Minor, just outside of Sykeston. From 8 a.m. to uh, to 12:30, they'll serve a lunch, and uh, they've they've got a lot of great folks lined up for that. This this is always a, a great meeting. The Missouri corn growers will be there. Missouri soybean will will be there. There'll be a market outlook 
Uh, they'll have presentations from uh, Dr. Mandy Bish with the University of Missouri on corn and soybean diseases. They'll have uh, Dr. Kevin Bradley from uh, you know, University, unless I say otherwise, all these speakers are from the University of Missouri. But Dr. Uh, Kevin Bradley will speak on herbicide and uh, weed resistance. And you know, he's, um, he's, he's had a lot to say on those topics in the last several years. Uh, we'll hear from uh, Dr. Justin Calhoun from the, uh, from the Delta Center, part of our Delta Center Brain Trust, talking about soybean management. And uh, then they will serve a lunch after that. So uh, if, you are, if you are a corn or soybean grower in the boot heel, you absolutely should put that on your calendar. That will be January the 19th. Um, a little later, a couple of things to put on your calendar. On February 9th, the University of Missouri Cotton Meeting will be at the Delta Center there in Portageville. And uh, they've got, a, got a, a lineup of great speakers there. Uh, they'll have uh, Jim Heiser will be talking on cotton weed control. Justin Calhoun, Dr. Justin Calhoun will be talking on cotton fertility. Dr. Bradley Wilson, our uh, Delta Center uh, cotton specialist, will be there to, uh, to give more of an overview of cotton production and talk about some of his research. The, uh, the newest member of the uh, Delta Center Brain Trust, Dr. Chase Floyd, will be there to uh, talk about cotton insects. And I'm uh, really looking forward to uh, hearing what he has to say. I've had the pleasure of meeting him once or twice, but he just, just started here at the Delta Center. Um, so uh, looking forward to hearing what he has to say. And of course, David Reinbott will be there with a, a market update or outlook. And uh, finally, <clears throat> excuse me, the uh, University of Missouri Rice meeting um, is coming up, and this will be uh, that will be from 8 a.m. to 12:30 p.m. at the gathering at Varsity Crossing in uh, Dexter, Missouri. And unfortunately, I failed to write down the date on this. I believe this is February the 22nd, but please double check the uh, University of Missouri Rice uh, program website. If you they're on Facebook, if you Google University of Missouri Rice. But at their meeting, they will be hearing from the Missouri Rice Council. They'll get a market outlook from David Reinbott. Jim Heiser will be there to talk about um, weed management in rice. Dr. Chase Floyd will also show that he doesn't only know about cotton. He will be there to talk about rice insect and disease management. And we'll have uh, Dr. Justin, Justin Chapeca talk about rice production to give an overview of uh, both his research at the Delta Center and to uh, talk about uh, some issues uh, coming up in the next year. So that's uh, three meetings. And any of those, if you look on the University of Missouri website, the University of Missouri Extension website, or the Delta Center website, you can get all the information I just gave you, uh, including the date um, in February for that Rice meeting. My apologies. But uh, lots of great folks. All three of these are great meetings. I, I, try, to, uh, I try to attend them when I can. and. Uh, the lunches are pretty good. The university is kind enough to see to it that, uh, that we get well fed at these. And, um, you know, if we have time, I would hate to have a week that did not include an invasive species. Do we, are, we, are we still doing okay on time? I believe that we've, are, we've, got, we've got several minutes left here. In the, in, but, uh, yeah, yeah, good. certainly. Okay, well, well, the invasive species of the week this year, and uh, this, is, uh, it's, it's, this is one that's, that's a little near and dear to my heart. Um, in part because I know that my my great grandfather um, helped to introduce this invasive species, um, which uh, I don't think he knew at that time that it was going to cause the problems that it has. But um, we're talking about crown vetch, and uh, vetch 
in the in the 40s and 50s and early 60s, Vetch was actually uh, promoted by by various universities and by the USDA and and even some uh, departments of conservation, both for erosion control but also for ground cover and a cover crop um, in cotton. And so uh, after the cotton was harvested they go out and plant vetch, which would help rebuild the soil, and then they plow it under in the spring. Well, unfortunately, uh, it turns out that vetch is a very, very, very fertile plant um, that, that spreads both by weeds and by rhizomes, which are sort of little underground root fingers that, uh, that expand and go from, uh, from plant to plant. And that's why when you see it, you will see big heavy clumps of vetch and uh, you've, you've probably seen it you've seen it certainly on the sides of the road the little uh, pink and white flowers and it's uh, it's not exactly a vine but you see little clumps kind of like crabgrass on the on the edge of the road and uh, they have gotten gotten a toehold around the roads and they now exist in all but four states in the united states and uh, by being right there by the road and being that they spread both by rhizomes, which makes them hard to kill, and by seeds, which makes them easy to transport. Of course, cars go by, they pick up a few seeds, they carry them a few miles down the road, or they even carry them from one part of the country to another, and they spread. Um, and one of the things that's uh, made it also uh, a challenge is that it is nearly impossible to completely get rid of vetch. Uh, now you can mow it, which will give you some control, but you have to mow it very, very close to the ground. You have to mow it several times um, during the course of a season, and even then it takes several years to, uh, to achieve anything approaching uh, elimination. Uh, and even then it's, it's rare to see 100% reduction because some of those seeds can lay dormant for many years on the side of the road and, and in other ground cover. So. Um, there are other things. Uh, some people have used 2,4-D, which is generally effective, but uh, they are seeing resistance in vetch. Uh, so you don't get 100% control, and 2,4-D tends to volatilize, so you can cause problems with surrounding crops or surrounding non-target plants that will be a problem if you use 2,4-D. There's also glyphosate, or Roundup as we know, which is similarly effective to 2,4-D, and there you might have some minor problems with drift, but it's thought that one of the reasons that we've seen um, Roundup resistance develop in many species, including in vetch, is because people don't use in a strong enough dose, and if it gives just a light dose to some vetch, well, that next generation of vetch could potentially develop a little bit of tolerance, and over the course of time, we end up with full-blown herbicide-resistant vetch, which is obviously not a problem. Now, the Department of Conservation has uh, rec rec recommended uh, Garline 3A or Triclopyr, Triclopyr, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure how to pronounce it. It's one of those uh, names that I see on labels but don't uh, have the call to pronounce very often. Is recommended in a 2% uh, solution, but um, subsequent applications are generally needed uh, to prevent sprouting seeds. So any of these chemical solutions will involve uh, coming back several times over the course of a year. And if you do have vetch somewhere that you need to get rid of it, probably a combination of mowing followed by spraying any um, 
any sprouts is going to be necessary. Um, and it is worth noting that uh, you know a lot of folks will burn some of the roadside ditches or burn some of the fields. And that has unfortunately proven ineffective at controlling large populations. The, uh, the burning doesn't destroy all the seeds. It, it will reduce the population, but if the population isn't controlled in the next spring, then a vetch will make a comeback. So uh, anyhow, those, those little pink and white flowers that you see on the side of the road, are uh, they're, they're certainly pretty to look at but uh, nothing nothing we want to encourage but there are at least a few ways that you can uh, that you can control the vetch and uh, we can all uh, we can all thank our uh, great grandfathers for uh, for using the uh, at the time what was considered a great move forward to reduce uh, erosion and uh, reintroduce some nitrogen in the soil and uh, and so today we're now burning and spraying and mowing uh, the sides of roads to try to get rid of uh, great grandpa's cover crop <laughs> oh, too often uh, today's solutions are tomorrow's uh, problems, but uh, I guess that, that's how it goes sometimes, those, those law of unforeseen consequences, a story as old as time. Barry, thank you so much for being here. Appreciate, uh, appreciate having you here. Uh, well, thank you. Always a pleasure. And uh, I will, uh, I will be, I'm, I'm already got some ideas for the next invasive species we're going to talk about. <laughs> That's so. good. That's good. Always excited. Always the, the great, uh, the, the cherry on top of our, of our by the bushel program. And uh, we appreciate it and all that you contribute to, to this. And uh, as always, thank you. And uh, yeah, have a good one. All right, you too. Thanks for watching. To our audience as well, thank you guys. We appreciate having you here. Tune on over to our uh, digital channel, kfes12.com slash livestream. You can check out Heartland News Now, streaming now for our 4 o'clock news program. All your updates there. 